The Art of Enough with artist Jay Sullivan. Episode 1. Origins of Not Being Enough. The man climbed over the mountain, the man climbed over the mountain, the man climbed over the mountain, and what do you think he saw? I was four years old when, on a family vacation, I jumped into the deep end from the diving board at the hotel pool. There was a big, blinding splash, flailing like swimming motions, and panic. The fear of going under kept me barely above the surface until I was able to grab onto the chrome handrails of the pool ladder. I dragged myself out onto the pool deck with the intent of heading back to the safety of my mother's chair. But over to my left, I heard an unseen voice. Did you see that kid dive into the pool? That was amazing. It was... It was amazing? Did I do something good? So what do you think he did? He went back and dove into the deep end. He went back and dove into the deep end. He went back and dove into the deep end. For the next 50 years. Are you always climbing the highest mountains? Always putting yourself into stressful situations that require all of your skill, all of your determination, all of your energy. Just to get over the top and back down onto level ground. And when you get back to level ground, you quickly start the anxiety-provoking climb all over again. Are you a perfectionist in some area of your life? Your parenting, your relationships, your work, your art. Where no matter how hard you try, no matter how much progress you make, it just doesn't feel like you've done enough. Welcome to The Art of Enough, a podcast series that can help you understand the causes of not feeling enough and provide some guidance on how psychology, neuroscience, and creative process can help you transcend this and other problematic emotions. Hi, I'm artist Jay Sullivan. For me, being an obsessive mountain climber is a combination of being an overachiever, a workaholic, a perfectionist, a compulsive problem solver. And these traits have benefits, to be sure. I'm always learning new things and embarking on new experiences. I've traveled around the world, been a lifelong competitive amateur athlete. I've had career success as a producer and director. I've co-founded two successful companies, which was financially rewarding, and I use that success to help others. But why? After all of this, did I not feel like I had done enough? Why was the feeling of accomplishment brief and unsatisfying? I started this project well into my middle age, a time when most people would start to think about slowing down. But I found myself still needing to do more. 
still needing to find another mountain to climb, still putting myself way outside of my comfort zone. All good ideas in theory, but when do more means keep on doing more, and the next mountains get higher and higher, and you're living your life way outside of your comfort zone all of the time. You may think you're achieving great things, but you may not recognize that you're living your life in great stress. The Art of Enough is a personal, transformational art-making project. It's much like my previous projects, where I use photography and video and self-portraiture in a psychologically-driven art-making process to become aware of and then transcend some limiting pattern of emotion or behavior that I've identified. Specifically for this project, I created a series of photographic-based artworks, and these podcasts as a way to understand why I am doing what I'm doing and doing and doing when I would really like to slow down and enjoy the moment instead of always climbing the next large mountain. And it's worked. During this project, I've been able to dramatically slow down the pace of my life. I've reduced anxiety. And most importantly, I have learned to say no in situations where I automatically used to say yes. I can now say no to climbing more mountains. I can say no to putting myself way outside of my comfort zone. I can say no to solving the world's problems. In many ways, it was about becoming more present and making more conscious choices. Instead of reacting to the situations around me based on some inner voice that commanded me to do more or be better, I have done enough. And now if I choose to do more, it's because I believe it will result in more pleasure, more happiness, and more connection with those around me. And I still get things done, but seemingly with a lot less effort, without having to climb the highest mountains. These podcasts may be helpful to you, whether you're an overachiever who wants to learn how to slow down and feel like you've achieved enough in your life, or if you're an artist or someone interested in psychology and art who wants to learn about the transformative potential of creative process. Or you may be someone who just wants to say, enough, in any area of your life. Enough of trying to be the perfect parent, the perfect spouse, the perfect friend, the perfect employee. <sighs> Dare I say it. Good just might be good enough. So, if you're a compulsive mountain climber or overachiever like me, where does it come from? Where does it originate? It's different for everyone, of course, but as with many behavioral traits, it often starts in early childhood. 90% of our brain is developed within the first five years of our life. So, the experiences that we have in early childhood have a long-term impact on our beliefs and behavior. One of my childhood experiences that contributed to my addiction to climb the highest mountains first became clear while researching creative process for this project. It led me to a lecture hall in Palm Beach, Florida. I was at a talk about creative process given by documentary filmmaker Rick Burns. 
During the Q&A, the discussion got around to his much more famous brother, Ken. Ken created the series about the Civil War, baseball, Vietnam, all for the U.S. public broadcast system. Rick mentioned that he and his brother had a shitty upbringing. Their father was brilliant but mentally ill, and their mother died from cancer when they were both adolescents. Rick noted that he thought his brother Ken had spent his life trying to outrun all that and channeled that energy into film after film after film. It should be noted that Ken Burns does not make the standard 90-minute or two-hour documentaries. He makes series of documentaries, some lasting up to 18 hours. The Burns brothers' story struck a chord. My father was also brilliant but mentally ill. When I was about four, he started to have violent psychotic episodes. He was dragged out of the house and taken to a psychiatric institution. After hearing about Ken Burns, I realized that I, too, have been running and running and doing, trying to outrun that past. I also realized that as a young child, I thought it was my fault that my father had to leave the home. And I have subconsciously been trying to do more, trying to be good, trying to be better, in the hope that it would make it all better again. It's well known in psychology circles that blaming oneself is common among children who have experienced a loss of a parent. Therapist Bob Zita has spent 30 years counseling individuals and families. He explains. It's uh, almost universal that a child can believe that it's somehow their fault that a parent either dies or gets sick or leaves the family in, in some way. A child will then start to think, I have to be good. I have to be better. I have to be whatever they want me to be in order not to uh, have them leave again. So, as a child, one might keep trying different things, different solutions or approaches in order to get it right. And that's what I did. And let me emphasize, I'm not complaining because this is a good skill to develop and has many practical uses. And ultimately, it's at the root of creativity, which I define as being able to see multiple options for any given problem. But taken too far, you're constantly solving problems, solving your problems, solving other people's problems, solving the world's problems. And when there are no problems left to solve, you invent some problems to solve, all happening subconsciously based on childhood experiences and emotions. Jean-Claude Van Italy is a longtime meditator, self-identified self-improver, playwright of over 30 plays, and author of the book, Tea with Demons. He refers to the problematic childhood emotions and experiences that are below the surface as demons. He spoke to me from Shantigar, a creative retreat center he founded in western Massachusetts. The demons in my book, Tea with Demons, are inner demons. They are in the unconscious. I recognize them as being something that I learned in early childhood. I was born Jewish in 
Western Europe four years before the Nazis invaded Belgium where I was living. That was my karma. That's what happened to me. So with my family, we fled Europe that was being bombed through France, through Spain, through Portugal. By great good luck, we came to America. But meanwhile, we were terrified. My parents never talked to me about it. They never said what was happening. How could you say that to a child who was four years old? But fear, the demon fear, was infused into me. I picked it up from the fear of my family. I think frequently demons are inherited, unacknowledged from generation unto generation. The way in which your parents treat you when you're a child, the fear which they may instill in you, which they got from their parents, all unacknowledged demons. Many times we keep these subconscious, unacknowledged, anxiety-infused demons at bay by keeping busy. And hence, for many of us, this means being physically active in childhood and being an overachiever or workaholic in adulthood. Again, therapist Bob Zita. Activity often helps us uh, avoid, ignore, or block the the emotions. So children, for instance, uh, soothe themselves by playing, by activity, by running, by doing sports, roughhousing. Uh, so uh, adults do it by, you know, working or or keeping ourselves so occupied that um, we uh, those those feelings don't uh, float to the surface. Why not let these feelings stay below the surface? <laughs> Why not let sleeping dogs lie? And as we've seen, there are benefits to being driven. Well, emotions control you subconsciously, and if you're not aware of how they are controlling you, then you can find yourself being whiplashed around by old, emotionally charged memories. Again, Bob Zita. The anxiety that we felt as children, I'm going to say the original anxiety or the original traumatic experiences, um, uh, we often forget about them consciously. But the but the uh, feeling remains, you know, leaves lingering feelings within us that can be uh, stirred up later. So even as an adult, you know, rationally doing things that are using good judgment, um, we can be we can be thrown back to um, a childhood feeling uh, in an instant. And when you get thrown back into those childhood feelings, you may respond as the child instead of the adult you are now. And these feelings and beliefs get reinforced as time goes on, and the demons become more and more a driver of your personality and behaviors. Again, Jean-Claude Van Italy. If you ignore your demons, they just get stronger and louder. Ignoring them gives them power if you don't if you don't see that they're there they take over they're 
they're like they're an illness they're a cancer if you like if you don't pay attention to it if you don't pay attention when you have a little illness you'll get a bigger illness and just as there is science to explain why cancer becomes a worse illness if you ignore it there is science to explain why the demons become a bigger psychological and emotional illness if you ignore them in my case the onset of my father's bipolar disorder was traumatic for me I developed behaviors with the thought that these behaviors would prevent my father from leaving again, mostly resulting in my addiction to climbing the highest mountains. I got rewarded for my addiction, and this is how the illness gets bigger. I was rewarded by my parents and by society for being the good boy, for doing more than people expected of me. I was rewarded emotionally and psychologically, but I was also rewarded biologically. Dr. John Arden, psychologist and author or co-author of 13 books on psychotherapy and neuroscience, explains how experiences that are initially pleasurable, like climbing the highest mountains, can over time change our brains and become addictions. He spoke to me from his home outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. There are these pleasure centers in your brain that... Uh, uh, involve many different neurotransmitters and areas uh, that uh, kind of register it. And uh, one neurotransmitter in, in particular is called dopamine. And uh, there are these whole bunch of different type of dopamine receptors. There are the dopamine D1 receptors, this heavy driven, gotta do it, and then you get this surge and this big drop off. And the other one that gives you the far more complicated, nuancey, creative, subtleties, ambiguities, we can call that the D2 receptor. And so the moderated effort seems to hit the D2 receptors much more. And so if you can moderate your excitement or your interest in your novelty, and you can hit these D2 receptors that grow, and in many ways it accentuates your ability to see all the various shades of gray and uh, all the, uh, the variations, which is, of course, more creative. Interestingly, for people that are addicted to certain types of behaviors, they don't necessarily have to be drug behaviors, but they can be anything, you know, gambling, whatever. They have a tendency to hit the D1 receptors and shrink the D2 receptors. Recovery actually is expanding the D2 receptors. And what does that mean? Well, that means expanding your number of potential opportunities for a subtle and uh, unique experience, which means you can't have the accelerator down to the floorboard. Well, my accelerator has been down to the floorboard for most of my adult life. So a large part of the creative and art-making process I designed for this project has been about taking my foot off the accelerator and expanding my opportunities for subtle experiences. And at the end of this podcast, I'll detail one of the ways I did this. The goal has been to grow the D2 receptors so they can attract the feel-good chemical dopamine and shrink the D1 receptors so they get less dopamine. This decreases my attraction to intense experiences and increases my attraction to subtle experiences, putting my brain into some sort of balance. 
and in the process, slowing me down, reducing anxiety, and decreasing my automatic response to always climb the highest mountain or solve the world's problems. Dr. Arden pointed out that my attraction to the extremes and climbing the highest mountains most likely was also affected by the nature of my father's mental illness. If you had a bipolar dad, I mean, he's, he's uh, inviting you to look at the extreme. So my attraction to the extreme started at an early age. It caused me to seek extreme experiences and apparently also affected my art aesthetic. One of the, the famous painters around here is Fritz Scholder. He was a student of Francis Bacon, so his, his art looks very much like that. It's very macabre and it's got to grab you at that visceral level and rather than much more sort of complex subtleties and... We're kind of talking about the difference between that. So, uh, so if you're if you have a piece of art in your house that's sort of a Francis Bacon or Fritz Scholder, it's kind of a little disturbing and grabs you. It's either intense or nothing. Versus, wow, this is much more complex. Look at these variations here, and and uh, I don't know if I can use another painter, maybe Paul Clay or that. You know? And so, in many ways, we're talking about the difference between. Uh, black and white, and uh, many variations, many complexities. That explained a lot. My art has been described as going right to the core or grabs a hold and doesn't let me go. I have known for a long time that a lot of my behaviors and beliefs have their roots in childhood, but apparently so does my preferred art aesthetics. It's one of intensity with very little subtlety. So, in this slowing down, in having more subtle experiences, I would expect the quality of my art to change, the aesthetics. Not only because I'm aware of this concept, but in fact the parts of my brain which determine what I like should biologically change as well. I should start to like more complex work with more subtle variations because my brain will have been rewired to release dopamine to receptors that reward me for subtle experiences. And I do think this has been the case in the work I have created during this project. It's still high on the Francis Bacon end of the spectrum, but certainly it's much more complex visually and conceptually. And it even affected his art. This project resulted in three series of artworks. One of them emerged specifically from a creative process that I started as a way to slow down and try to experience life from a more subtle perspective and get dopamine flowing to the D2 receptors. It started when Jean-Claude Van Italy gave me this guidance. I think you should seek to have pleasurable moments during ordinary experiences. Seek to have pleasurable moments during ordinary experiences. This is essentially the concept of mindfulness which has become part of popular culture over the last few years. It's a process to stop feeding the D1 receptor so much and start feeding the D2 receptors. So I designed a process of where I pick a different sense seeing, hearing, taste, touch, and smell on an, any given day, and try to focus on experiencing the world primarily through that sense. For example, on touch day, when I'm not immersed in some other activity, I just touch things or allow things to touch me. 
sitting at a restaurant and exploring under the table with my fingertips, putting my hand into the sand at the beach or feeling the wind against my face. I recently had this experience on a baseball field. I lay on my back, looking at the blue sky. I put my hand down to touch the earth and notice that there's a coarseness to the grass on Florida baseball fields. Small surprise. I could have been just in my head thinking about the next problem I had to solve, but instead I made a conscious choice to shift my focus to the sensation of touch. I enjoy this so much now that I continued to do it some seven months after I started. And again, I know that repetition is the key to making psychological and emotional changes. So, to solidify this pattern in my brain even more, I started to document these small surprises online. The response was very positive, so I decided to use the documentation as a starting point for a new body of work called Small Surprises. Surprise! (laughs) Again, much of the success of the project psychologically for me is that I found a way to keep repeating the same creative and neurological process over and over again. First, by getting into the habit of recognizing small surprises on a daily basis. Second, by posting them online. Third, by making a formal project out of it. And fourth, by talking about it to you in this podcast. Over time, I've become addicted to small surprises, and it's curbed my addiction to climb the highest mountains. It's an example of how a creative process can result in both a meaningful body of work and personal psychological change. He stopped and enjoyed the view. He stopped and enjoyed the view. He stopped and enjoyed the view. In this podcast, we learned that the origins of feeling not enough can be rooted in childhood experiences and beliefs. And if ignored like any emotional or psychological wound, it will get worse and become more a driver of your emotions, beliefs, and behaviors. In my case, it caused me to be a compulsive overachiever, always climbing the highest mountain. Small Surprises is one example of a creative and art-making process that I developed to curb this compulsive behavior and start slowing down to experience more subtlety and less stress in my life. In the next few podcasts, I will detail the four main steps of my current creative process. Awareness, research, art making and conversations well that's enough for this podcast i'm jay sullivan and may your day be filled with small surprises he stopped and enjoyed the view he stopped and enjoyed the view he stopped and enjoyed the view